Hello and welcome to this episode of APW's continuing podcast series. You can find all our episodes in all your usual podcast places. We post online every Monday and aim to entertain and inform about all aspects of UK property, from market news to specialist subjects to general advice, which is what APW have been giving to their clients for over 30 years as they help the expat community decide on buying property in the UK. With me today is one of APW's top team, Callum Williamson. Hi, Callum. Hi, Paul. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Very well, thank you. Yes, um, just getting fully back into the swing of things post Christmas and New Year. Yes, and you're now back in uh, you're in the UK. That's right. Yeah, I've sort of ended my well, not ended. I've put a small hiatus in my eight year stint overseas, um, just to be back in the UK for a few months to sort of help grow our team here, which will help benefit our clients and try and sort of create some good content around developers and developments that we can start putting out on our channels so that our clients and people we speak to can sort of have more transparency over the process back in the UK. And then I'll still be sort of every three, four weeks at our events in Singapore and Dubai and and tripping out to Asia. But yeah, back here for a couple of months um, just to sort of help, help with the team here. So looking forward to it, although very, very cold today. It is. It's not uh, Bondi Beach. No, it's not Bondi Beach, that's for sure. Um, anyway, my name's Paul Shearer. I'm an independent property writer and I've been roped in to host this weekly discussion series. Today we're going to look at a buy-to-let basic. What strategy are you going to use to guide your investments? First, uh, tell us a bit about your clients as well. What kind of people do you advise and what are they trying to achieve? Sure. Yeah, good question. So we help and work with expatriates and international people. Uh, You know, we help them source investment property or any property back in the UK. And to people that are new here, we've been doing it 30 odd years. And the way we do it is we normally start with a conversation uh, and sort of get a shopping list of what you're looking for and then go from there. But to give it, you know, to give you a broad range or some examples of people we have worked with and continue to work with, Senior execs working overseas, so C-suite and above, places like Singapore, Dubai, Hong Kong, anywhere. International teachers working in in language schools all over the world, from Saudi Arabia to Tokyo to, you know, um, English school in Cairo, all over the world. Uh, And then, you know, people that are just starting out and looking to build a portfolio or get a foot on the ladder or... um, whatever it may be. So it's a large, uh, you know, a large range of people. We don't discriminate. If you'd like to buy property in the UK and you need a hand, we can help you do it. So they all will all have different sort of, uh, uh, like you said, different shopping lists, different uh, ideas of what they want to do. But what sort of thing are they looking to buy? Look, it's a, it's a broad range, really. I mean, it really sort of depends on their situation. But you've got, you know, some some planning retirement and are looking to repatriate to the UK. So perhaps they're looking for a property to give them some income and then that place they'd like to live in you've got you've got some looking to just build a portfolio they may have property already they're just looking to get sort of extra income uh, you've got others that are looking to help out family members you've got a sort of a whole range and then the types of properties I guess we'll get into that a bit more later but that really sort of depends on on your goal and your strategies and, and what you're trying to achieve. Okay. Well, we've spoken uh, before about the need to define your goals before you start on an investment uh, journey. But before you do that, it's useful to know something about the different strategies that there are when you're investing in uh, buy-to-let property. So what are the strategies? Yeah, again, I mean, that is a a very good question. And there's loads of sort of uh, 
strategies within strategies and all that sort of stuff if you want to go down all these different rabbit holes and routes but you know really simply there's um the the buy to let strategy i think people get confused and think that any sort of property is buy to let it's not buy to let is when you buy it and let it out to a tenant who then pays off the mortgage for you and then in 20 25 years it's paid off it's been paid off by the tenant and then the income is all yours that's if it's done on capital and repayment on the mortgage if you want income now you can do buy to let but do it on interest only and then you can keep the difference between the mortgage and the income and that's that's your sort of uh, your profit each month the second broad category is is buying it and selling it on for profit or sort of making your money on the way in so you would buy it refurb it perhaps and then sell it on or buy it refurb it and pull some of that equity out so it's slightly more immediate approach and then sort of lastly you've got the approach where you can you know you can buy shares in a company that own property so a, a REIT for example or you can sort of lend funds to a developer who will use that to develop properties on, on their behalf so those are the sort of three very very broad categories Okay, a REIT there is a Real Estate Investment Trust, which actually Emma, the producer of this series, and I know quite a lot about because we worked for a company called IPSX, who were the world's first independent securities exchange dedicated to commercial real estate, where they were, you put, you parked a single asset in a company and then they sold shares on their exchange in that company. One of the things that they were talking about is that the existing, if you invest in British land, they own property all over the place. So you're not investing in a particular idea. Uh, so your office block in central London is also mixed in with uh, industrial estate in Wigan. And uh, the two might have very, very different profiles of of capital investment and capital growth and so on uh, and you know the sectors go up and down but not only that the British land shares will be on the London Stock Exchange and so the whole property idea is buffeted about by what's going on in the actual stock exchange market and then there are also in some real estate investment trusts which have been held offshore there was a whole crisis about uh, the gated investments where uh, someone because property is illiquid, all of the property that's held in the fund can't be sold very easily. So if there is a massive downturn, suddenly there's a big problem because people say, oh, I want my money. And the person running the fund has no option really but to say, uh, no, you can't because we'll, the whole thing will go bust if everyone does that. You get basically get a, a run on the bank, as it were. But it's it's a problem for you as an individual, if you're, it's your money and you, you, you lose control of it in, to a certain extent. So that's one of the attractive things about this buy to less investment is that you have the idea that you're in control of it. Okay, yeah, that's it. Um, thanks, Paul. And that's sort of one of the reasons we like to champion the, the physical property approach because, you know, if you're going into a REIT or, or, um, or the like, you know, you're sort of not fully in control of it yourself. So unless you're working with a, a company that you know and trust and has a great track record you know and that's one of the benefits of, of the physical property purchase is it's in your hands and that's sort of where we help people plan and research and and give a bit of guidance you know we can sort of help with all, the whole stages from it from as i say the, the goal setting the planning to purchases the mortgage conveyances all of that sort of stuff and and then with the physical property it's obviously yours for life until you decide to sell it and the income is yours for life until you decide to sell it 
Okay, well, you you touched on some of the different strategies, and you touched on the two main ones. Um, you can buy for income, or you can buy for capital growth, or you can obviously blend the two, and you've got a mixture. But then there are different strategies. You touched on a couple. The main ones: you can buy for income, or you can buy for capital growth.、Um, let's start with the income.、Uh, what are some of the different strategies there? That's exactly it. And people, I think. Sometimes, a lot of the time, get sort of mixed up when they're trying to decide what they want. So you need to really sit down and look at your goals and see where you are in life and decide what you really want. I mean, most people, well, a lot of people, will just say they want income, but when you really think about it, you know, is that really the case? Are you, you know, are you going to be quitting your job anytime soon, or are you going to continue to work? Which means, do you really need the income, or should it be more more of a long term play? So. So, if you're going for income, you know you need to decide how much income you want and by when. And a good and a good way to do that, you know, just to sort of to simplify it is, as we said earlier, it's simply buy to let. So you buy somewhere, you put a tenant in there, and then they're going to be paying off the mortgage for you. And and so really, quite simply, that means that your sort of yield, your your incoming、uh, income, needs to be sort of more than all the costs and the mortgage. And the bigger that difference is, the more income you're going to have. If you're trying to get income immediately, then you need To be looking at higher yields, so places in the Midlands and further north, perhaps where you can get seven, eight, nine percent.、Um, but if you're looking for a longer-term income and you want the, the mortgage paid off by the tenant, then you know you can be looking looking at something a little bit more steady, such as the Midlands, for example, where you can get four, five, six percent,、um, and then the you know the tenant will pay the mortgage off, and then in yeah in fifteen, twenty, twenty-five years' time, whatever it may be, you're going to have all the income from that property. Uh, to yourself, that I think is the the most simple, least hassle approach that most people take is buy a property, put a tenant in it, have them pay the mortgage off. Yes, because that means that you can start with,、uh, like you say, zero income. You could, or you can even start at not making a profit at all.、Uh, you can cover a, a small amount of loss for you know five years, knowing that over that five year period, inflation will start to creep the rent up. If you're on a repayment, then you're paying off chunks of money that you put into the property, so your profit and your income generation happens further down the line. But you've got to be thinking very long term to do that. You've got to be thinking almost almost like a pension fund. Well, that's it, and you know it's one of the things we're getting at the moment. You know, with sort of、uh, interest rates and, and mortgage rates being the way they are, you know, it's sort of pushing people into people that are on trackers, for example. You know, they're They're now sort of having to cover the cost of fifty, a hundred quid a month, and you know a lot of conversations. We well, some of the conversations we've been ha- having recently around, or should I sell my property because it's costing me fifty quid a month? Well, you know, look at the bigger picture. How much have you paid off so far? You know,、uh, in a year's time, when interest rates st- start coming back down and it's back in the positive, will you be glad that you sold the property and and that potential stream of future income, or will you be? Sort of angry that you didn't suck up a year's worth of fifty quid a month losses, six hundred quid, and and then keep it for the future. So、um, yeah, you know, I think if you're going down that strategy where it's longer term, as long as we say washes its face, so it's you know costing you nothing, putting fifty quid in your pocket, or maybe costing you a tiny bit if rates are high, then it's worth doing and it's it's、um, a solid approach if it aligns with your goals, of course. Okay, well, let's look at the other strategy now, which is buying for capital growth. What are some of the techniques there?、Uh, yes, so buying for capital growth. I mean, 
generally speaking, if you're just looking at locations, you know, you can buy in a capital growth location. So, for example, a hundred thousand quid house in, I don't know, wherever, um, Sheffield, I don't think you can get a house for that in Sheffield anymore. Sorry, if you're from Sheffield, um, you know, that goes up by 10%, it's 10,000 pounds, but you know, a million pound property in London or the South somewhere goes up by 10%, then it's a lot more in sort of terms of the value of the money. So you can buy in traditional uh, high growth locations and higher value locations, which will give you, you know, capital growth. Traditionally, those will be lower yield locations because naturally, you know, if you've got a million pound property to use the extreme, you're not going to get a six, seven percent yield. It's going to be more like one, two percent. So, and that's the trade-off you make if you're buying in different locations of the UK. But there are strategies you can take, such as the, and this is obviously a strategy within the capital growth strategy. So, strategy within a strategy, which is the BRRR strategy. So, buy, refurbish, refinance, rent out, and then there's another R, which is repeat for people that want to do it again. So. Uh- and and that's usually sort of more than a lick of paint. But you need to spot something that's undervalued. Uh, you need to work out how much you need to spend on it to make it better. Uh, and then work out whether that is still going to be uh, viable, whether you're, you're going to be able to extract that extra bit of finance and whether you're going to be able to repeat. But obviously there are finance costs in that, you know, uh, mortgage application fees and so on and the time taken for that uh, process it's not necessarily very easy sometimes is it you need to you need to have a fair bit of expertise to spot that undervalued property yeah that's it i mean it's uh you're gonna make more money you know but it is more capital and more knowledge and more resource intensive as well you know it's if you don't have the knowledge, then it's quite difficult to do yourself. It doesn't mean you can't do it. There are heaps of great companies out there that specialize in this sort of stuff and that can help you can help you do it and show you the way and, and help you do it successfully. But it's difficult to do if you've never done it before. And as you say, there are costs involved. You know, if you you know, a lot of people used to flip properties, they would do this and then they would just sell them on. I mean, I, I personally... Well, there were whole television programs dedicated to that, weren't there? <laughs> the whole television series, yeah. Exactly, you know, and I still watched them on YouTube. I think there was about 20, 25 series of Homes Under the Hammer. But, um, you know, it's more difficult to do now because of stamp duty. There's more sunk costs to, to, to going into property. So the BRRR strategy... I mean, at least once you've renovated it, you can refinance and pull some of the cash out. So you're not sort of, you're flipping it, you're keeping the asset and then you've got the income. But um, it is difficult. It's knowledge intensive, which is why if you're sort of new to property and starting out, it's easier to just go down the simple buy to let route because it's quite difficult to stuff that one up. And then once you start gaining a bit of knowledge, you can start looking at these different strategies and adding different strings to your bow and all that sort of stuff. But um yeah, there are people that, out there that can that can help you do it if you'd like to do it and you don't know how. Okay, so there are the two strategies there. One is the trying to find an area which you believe is going to outperform the other areas and make more money uh, than another area. So the rising stars in the UK property market, as it were, try and identify those, or even the rising categories, whether it's going to be one-bed flats in cities or whether it's going to be uh, big family houses in the country. Obviously, the people who invested in family houses in the country during the pandemic uh, would have done 
relatively well because there was this race for space. Uh, but now it's the, going in reverse and people are rushing back to city centres. Uh, that's that's one way of doing it. The other way is spotting something undervalued, uh, putting some of your own money into a renovation project and then hoping that you make more than you put in at the end of it. Now, those are both easier to do in a rising market. What about in a falling market? What tends to happen is that you get this flight to quality where people will then retreat to the areas which are and have historically had very, very, very solid growth. So in London, everyone rushes back to Kensington and Chelsea. That's a kind of broad brushstroke of the capital growth thing. What about buying off plan? Yeah, so that's a and and those are, are good points on the on the capital growth um, strategy there. But as with anything, you know, the shorter your time horizon, the riskier it is, right? So if you're you know planning on timing the market, which we say is never great, it's time in the market. You know, it's always a little bit riskier than just taking the long term approach. But buying off plan, that's another. I guess it, it can give you the best of both because uh, you, you know you can often buy lock in a price and buy something that's under construction and you know it will complete in 12 months or 24 months and you sort of bought it at the original price but you're getting it then at the the market price in two years time so you're getting a bit of capital appreciation it's also a sort of speaking from experience you know it's a it's an easy way to purchase property whilst you're living overseas you know i know from personal experience trying to buy Secondhand or existing property and compete with other buyers that are UK based is difficult. So buying off plan is a, is a simple way that allows you to reserve a nice property, a home or a unit. If you're letting it out, whatever it may be, um, usually for a thousand pounds or two thousand pounds. And then you can sort of stagger the deposit over, you know, six months or sometimes 12 months. So it's a bit more affordable. But again, the key is to work with trusted people, do your research. You know, when I was buying, my off-plan place, I did a lot of research and sort of reading around and looked at the prices in the local area to see if it was competitively priced and was there value built in and all that sort of stuff. Um, so, yeah, so, so make sure you work with people that have a good track record there again. You know, don't just sort of jump into it and, and hit and hope. You've got to do your research or work with people that can help you do your research. Yes, it, it became a thing that developers could only really start their project. The banks, the lending on it, they would only really allow the developer to start or to release the lending if that project had been 50% sold off plan. And because there was a low demand in the UK, that's when some of the developers really, really started to promote their developments overseas and there, there was a whole market created there. But it puts a certain amount of power into you as the buyer because the developer is on the back foot wanting your money to be able to show to the bank that we've sold 50% of these off plan and we can start the project. But like you say, you're projecting a couple of years into the future. Uh, so it's, you know, it's not for the faint-hearted. In some ways, you, you've got to you know, be prepared to guess what the property market is going to be like in two years' time, which is not always easy. No, it's not, you know. Um, and again, I guess it's just about, we're bang on about it, but, you know, do a bit, do a bit of research and read about it. And especially if, yeah, if you're going to buy off plan, you know, look at track record and history. Have these people got, whoever they may be, you know, have they got a year's worth of track record? Have they got five? Have they got 10? Have they got 20? You know, if they've got... Mm -hmm. 
20 years of experience than they've been through all the ups and downs and they're still here so they must be doing something right and you know again with off plan i think in some of the instances where it goes wrong it's because you're working with developers that aren't what we call fully funded you know so they need investor funds to finish the build and that's where it can sort of go wrong because they're chasing money and then they run out of money if you're working with an off-plan developer that's what we call fully funded then they already have the funds in place to to build the property they don't need investor funds to to pump that up so those ones tend to do well and have a better track record because they're not sort of chasing cash and if a slowdown was to happen or you know a recession or you know in, inflation is rising then they're not relying on people still spending money they've they've got the cash and they've budgeted for it so you know that's something to think about as well yeah okay so what about the the pitfalls overall what, with any investment like we're saying you know the advice is that prices can go down as well as up uh, what are the other pitfalls in this journey of buy to let investment or property investment in the UK yeah, I think there's a, there's quite a few things that you need to consider, you know, things that are, are for consideration. I wouldn't necessarily say pitfalls because if you do your consideration and research and planning and all that stuff we love correctly, then they shouldn't really catch you out, you know, but you've got to consider things like your attitude to risk, you know, do you, are you, are you happy to absorb risk or do you not want any risk? And then that can influence your buying decision. What's your tax position? Are you planning on moving back to the UK? Are you buying through a company? That's something to consider and speak to you know, experts like GetGround and Bianca about changes in regulations that can affect things, tenancy laws, you know, EPC ratings, all things to consider. But generally, these are not quick things. They're things that happen slowly and over time. So you, know, you can see them coming around the corner. Floods and fires, you, know, you need your insurance. Again, if you're working, the, the flooding thing, if you're working with a good conveyance, so they'll sort of tell you about your flood risk and all that sort of stuff. But fire, that is that is a risk, you know, so you need insurance, which again, you can get for like 16 to 20 quid a, a month. Short term is always riskier because you're trying to time the market. It's not, you know, your duration in the market. Property is an illiquid thing, you know, so it can take a longer time to sell over the past few years. That's not really been the case. Things have been selling quickly, especially if you've been out in the country. And now if you're in the city centre flats, they're selling quickly because people are moving back. So don't invest cash. Your one month that you may want in a few months, it's a long-term thing. And also, you know, you, you've got to, if you're going to manage it yourself or put a tenant in there, then obviously you're sort of responsible for them as well. You know, it's uh, someone else's welfare because they're living in your property. So they're, they're things to consider. Oh, you know, they won't catch you out unless you, don't consider them. And then the only other thing is, you know, property can go up as well as down, but as long as you don't sell when it's down, you don't make a loss, you know. And if you look at the last correction in 2008, by late 2009, 2010, prices were back to pre-2008. So um, don't panic and, and don't sell when things are down. You're still going to be getting your income. I think that's called buy and hold, isn't it? Yeah, yes, that's it, buy and hold. Well, that's it for today. Thank you very much, Kellen, for your excellent advice there and your run through the different strategies that apply to buying a property in the UK from abroad. Uh, join us again next week on Mondays, uh, as ever. Until then, it's goodbye from Callum. Goodbye, Paul. Thanks for having me. And it's goodbye from me. My name is Paul Shearer. Have a lovely day.
Thanks for listening to this episode of our podcast series produced for APW by Emma Holton at Brilliant Audio. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe, hit like, share it with your friends. If you didn't, keep stum. You can find more episodes in all your usual podcast places.